All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Yes. It's Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday, and I can't think and imagine just a more appropriate time for us to be having our regathering and coming together as a church again. I have missed all of you, and some of you haven't had a chance to say hi to beginning of the service, so a big greeting to all of you. It is so good to see you all here together today, and again, it's just so fitting being that it is Pentecost Sunday today. And so we're going to take a little break from our regular teaching in Second Peter where uh, we have been. And uh, we'll pick it up there next week in Second Peter chapter 2. And, uh, but today I want to talk about Pentecost Sunday. And we're going to look at what Pentecost is all about. We're going to see the history of Pentecost the importance of Pentecost, and the relevance of Pentecost. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time here together today, just to be together. Uh, This is so refreshing and exciting, and uh, we've been waiting a long time for this, and it's so good to be together with one another, the church, and we pray that as we look at the birth of the church here today, Lord, you would just encourage us and continue to remind us, Lord, what this is all about here. And so we look to you now in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So, um, first of all, let's look a bit at the history of Pentecost. And to do so, we're going to go all the way back just to that great book of Leviticus, a familiar book to all of you. I'm sure you do most of your devotional time out of the book of Leviticus, and so this will not be anything new to you all, I'm sure. But we're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter 23, and in Leviticus chapter 23, we see really this outline of the various feasts that were to be taking place. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, what do we need to study the feast for? Weren't these something that was, you know, Old Testament or given just to the nation of Israel? Well, I'm glad you've asked that. We're going to uncover some of that and, and look at really, you know, how this pertains to us here today. But understand that Pentecost was one of six feasts that were given. Six according to what we see laid out for us here in Leviticus chapter 23. We see here the feast of Passover and unleavened bread. The feast of Passover and unleavened bread usually get grouped together because the feast of unleavened bread took place the day after Passover and and then that lasted for a week. And so this oftentimes just got wrapped up together and was referred to as, you know, Passover. But then after Passover and unleavened bread was the feast of first fruits. And then we see the feast of weeks or as it became known as Pentecost. So when you're reading through the Old Testament and you see a reference to Feast of Weeks, that's dealing with Pentecost. And then after Pentecost comes the Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Atonement, and then, uh, or the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. Now the word feast means appointed time. Appointed time. These were appointed times that the Lord desired the nation to come together and to commemorate a a significant event that that God had done for them, essentially. So this was a gathering that God desired. And I'm so thankful that God desires to see his people come together. And most of these feasts were to be a very celebratory occasion. And 
I'm also glad that God is a God that loves to appoint things, that he keeps a timetable in action, that, that God is not just letting things kind of unfold and willy-nilly just sort of going, well, you know, I'll see, maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. All things, understand this, are unfolding and operating according to God's divine timetable, that he is in control. Everything is operating on his schedule. And I take great comfort in that because we can look at things going on in the world, things unfolding and think, oh my goodness, everything is just spinning out of control. And you look at what's going on. And we need to take some time today and just pray for some of the events going on. As you know, when if, if you've looked at the news in the last week, you, you see that you know things are just seeming so out of control. But yet, what I know is that God is still carrying out his plans and his purposes. Nothing, thank you, nothing is, is getting in the way of, of God. Nothing is taking God by surprise to where he's going, oh, I didn't foresee that coming. My goodness, that's going to really get in the way of what I wanted to do here. God has appointed times and he's going to carry out his appointed times because he is the one that is in control and nothing can get in the way of that. So I'm just so glad for that. But these feasts here, getting back to these, these feasts were to be a special thing to the nation of Israel. And yet they take on even greater significance, or they take on significance, I should say, for us, because what we see in and through these feasts is that they are all a shadow of the person or the ministry of Jesus Christ. These are all things that are kind of pointing towards Jesus. And I want to take some time to kind of look at that a bit here today. The first three feasts, the first three feasts look forward to the first coming of Jesus Christ, while the latter three feasts look forward to the second coming of Christ. So again, if I were to bring that slide back up here, we see that the feast of Passover, feast of first fruits, feast of Pentecost were all kind of fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus, while we'll see the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Feast of Tabernacles fulfilled in the second coming of Christ. We're not going to really get into that much today here, but I want to focus on Feast of, of Pentecost and the things leading up to it just to see how these things are fulfilled in and through Jesus. So the Feast of Passover, first of all, was of course fulfilled as Jesus our Passover lamb was crucified. Because at Passover, that was celebrating the time that, that um, God delivered his people out of Egypt, right? And so God instructed that every household in Egypt was to take a, a lamb. And they were to sacrifice the lamb, take the blood of the lamb, place it upon the doorposts of their house. In so doing, they were showing that we're following God's prescribed plan here of deliverance. We're putting our trust in God. And anybody that had the blood of the door, on the doorpost that that death angel would pass over and spare the judgment upon that house. And so it was through that time that God allowed his people to be delivered out of Egypt. So too for us, Jesus came, he became that Passover lamb. By his blood that was shed on the cross, we are forgiven and we're spared from the judgment of God so that we could be set free and have life, redeemed life, in and through Jesus. Aren't you glad for that today? So that, you see, was fulfilled in and through Jesus. 
But then, like I said, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was, was closely tied into Passover. It came the day after Passover. And at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were to remove all leaven from their household. And as they were getting ready for this great deliverance, deliverance and exodus out of Egypt, they were to bake their goods without leaven. They weren't to wait for it to rise. They were to be ready to make haste and, and flee quickly. So they were to rid their home of all leaven. Leaven in scripture, is a picture of sin. Sin. That's what leaven is a picture of in Scripture. And so what Israel was called to do was, was now that you've been delivered and, and saved by God, you're to leave that life of sin behind. This is no longer to be really the characteristic or the mark of you. But notice, remember, look at the order here. Because a lot of people think, I've got to clean myself up before I come to Jesus. Oh, I know Jesus is there. Extended invitation, but boy, I got a lot of stuff I need to, I need to deal with, or I need to, you know, clean up before I can come. The Lord doesn't say that. He says, come to me as you are, and then I will do that work of sanctification. Forgiveness has been delivered to you, been brought to you, receive that, and then begin to walk in that newness of life. So Israel wasn't called to remove their house of sin, then I'll deliver you. So I'm going to deliver you. And in so doing, you're to make haste and leave that life of sin behind here. And so we see that Jesus has done that for us, right? He's forgiven us. He has cleansed us. And we experience that as we put our faith in Jesus and live for him. And then we see the, free, the feast of first fruits. The feast of first fruits came on the day after the Passover Sabbath which was the, the beginning of the week, right? And we're going to see through the New Testament that that became known as the Lord's Day. The beginning of the week. That's the day that Jesus rose again from the grave, right? So this was to start, the Feast of first fruits for Israel was to start when they came into the Promised Land as they began to plant their crops and, and see it grow. They were to dedicate the first ripened stalks of grain to God. Because in so doing, they were saying, we're giving to you the first that we've received from you in expectation of more to come. And so too, Jesus has become the first fruits. The first fruits of what? The first fruits of those that have risen from the grave, showing that death and sin is defeated and we now have life in him and eternal life. He's the beginning of it all, but we have the expectation now of more to come, right? In fact, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits of those that have passed away. He's the beginning and he's to show us and to secure for us life to come now. He's the first fruits. And then that leads us to the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And so we read in Leviticus, if you want to make your way with me to Leviticus chapter 23. Let's read a few verses here. Leviticus 23. And, and we're going to pick it up in verse 15. And here's what we read there. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first 
fruits to the Lord. Now jump down to verse 21. Verse 21 says, And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleanings from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. I love that, that the Lord is there providing through this harvest of his people Israel opportunity to bless outsiders, the strangers. We'll... we'll See the significance of that too as we move along here. But the Feast of Weeks was celebrated seven weeks after first fruits. Seven weeks, right? After that Passover. So Pentecost means 50th. That's where we, that name Pentecost is so relevant because this was to come after the seventh Sabbath, which would be 50 days. And it would be on the first day of the week again, the Lord's Day. This became known also the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, also was referred to as the Feast of Harvest, as it was a time to present uh, all the, the blessings that the Lord had given to his people through you know, the new grain of the summer wheat harvest. They would bring in, start to say, thank you, Lord, for your provision. Thank you for providing and giving us all that we need. Because, I mean, let's face it, if they weren't getting you know, the rain to water the crops and crops growing, they couldn't just hit the you know, local Walmart or, or Safeway, I mean, they relied upon their crops for food, for sustenance. And they also realized that, God, you need to be the one that provides this for us. So they would bring in, at the Feast of Weeks or Feast of Harvest, this grain saying, thank you, God, for your provision and care. We are depending on you and we thank you. And so in this feast, they were to bring two loaves now. We read about that here in, in verse um, 17 of Leviticus 23. Two loaves of bread, but this time they were to bake it with leaven. Remember the Feast of Unleavened Bread, no leaven. Picture of sin. So why now are they called to make bread with leaven, which is a picture of sin? Well, that leads us into looking at the importance of Pentecost. Move with me to Acts chapter 2. Flip over in your Bibles, and I hope you got your Bibles, the Acts chapter 2. And let's look at some things unfolding here in Acts chapter 2. Verse 1 simply says this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all together, you see. I think that's so great. Now, Pentecost was one of three annual feasts that... All the Jewish males living within a certain distance from Jerusalem had to come into Jerusalem and celebrate. One of three annual feasts that were very important. Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and then Feast of Tabernacles. So at this time, crowds are coming in. People that normally don't live in Jerusalem are coming in for the Feast of Pentecost. And so crowds are swelling. The the city is, is bustling here. And as we've seen, Jews are very familiar with Pentecost. But notice, Luke records here that when the day of Pentecost had fully come. In other words, I think there was a a greater significance to this feast than there had been in previous times because they've been celebrating this for some, you know, 1,500 years. But this feast now, this day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 would be a fulfillment of the types and the shadows that this celebration had been 
looking forward to. We're going to get to that in a second, but notice, it says they were all with one accord in one place. Isn't that sweet? I love that. I believe that's what God desires for his people. That's why these last few weeks have been so hard because we've been out of sorts. We've been outside of the typical community that we are to be as the church one with another. And I believe this is what God desires, that it's not forsake the assembling of the brethren here, right? And so we're called to be those that come together. That's what, you know, church, ecclesia, the, the assembly together is all about. And we've been missing that. That's why I'm so excited for today to where we can begin, though with restricted numbers, at least we can begin to have people in the seats and people fellowshipping, worshiping together. I'm so glad for that. That's what God desires here. That we simply take time to be together. Now, Luke records, they were all with one accord. Now, do you know why they were all with one accord? Because they couldn't all fit in the civic together, so they had to go... I know, I'm sure many of you have all heard that before, but I gotta try it out in case there's that one that hasn't heard that before. So, thank you for your pity. But the idea here of being in one accord, everybody, the idea of being in one accord is that they were all together with one mind. That's what that idea means. Of one accord, they were together with one mind. Now, the thing that often robs people of fellowship and togetherness is when they think that others aren't following their mind right? Oh, I don't like that church. They don't think the same way I do. They're not lining up with what I would like to see done. And it, and it can rob people of togetherness and fellowship, which God so desires of us to be together. We like things to be in line with what we desire and want. And when someone comes along and does something different than our way, we can tend to get a little bit out of line. Unity gets disrupted. Feelings get hurt. People get upset. And typically it's because People are not seeking to be of one mind together. Others maybe are fighting over, well, which mind are we going to go with? Your mind or my mind? Well, let's choose right now, right? And disrupt, uh, disunity oftentimes comes in. But you see, we're not talking of one of our minds being the superior mind and everyone needing to follow and sync with that. We're talking about having the mind of Christ. This is what it's all about here where we're looking to carry out his will and not our own. In fact, it's what Paul so, so perfectly stated in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 to 5, when he says this, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, there it is, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to give that great kenosis passage, this emptying of Jesus, where he he humbled himself and he became obedient even to the point of death. Jesus came not to carry out his mind, but humbled himself, became obedient to God. And so we as a church, we come together saying, man, church is not about me, about having my rights or my needs met. It's about coming with the mind of Christ saying, I want to come and be a blessing to one another. God's desire is for us to be together and to enjoy fellowship. And one way we're going to be able to accomplish this is, like Jesus, by laying down our minds our rights, and coming together with the common 
purpose of glorifying God. That's the example of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this with me on this day of Pentecost here, according to Acts chapter 2. Remember what I said about, you know, the, the feast of, of weeks of Pentecost here to bring two loaves of, of leavened bread as a wave offering. Leaven, picturing sin. Well, I think these two loaves, as we see, you know, again, how all these feasts had a shadow of things to come. Uh, it was a picture of something to come all fulfilled in and through the ministry of the life of Jesus. Well, I think these two loaves now so adequately or accurately represent the church, which in Acts, we see Jews and Gentiles being brought together into one group. And that group would form the church Followers of Jesus that were saved by his grace, becoming the bride of Christ. Now, you may have been a part of some lively church gatherings where people were at odds, right? Little, you know, disunity or even quarreling emerging. But think about what that would have been like for Jews and Gentiles to suddenly be gathering together and the history they had of one another where there was animosity, hatred, between these two groups of people. Now God is doing a work where he's drawing them together as one group to be in community together. That would have required being of the same mind, having the mind of Christ, or else they would have just lost their mind with one another. And here's what we need to grasp. Just like those two loaves that come together made of leaven, here's what we need to understand, my friends, is that we're all sinners. The church isn't perfect. We're flawed, but we're looking to the one who by his grace has forgiven us and made us new and has called us now into his family. You see, there's no perfect church out there. If you're looking for the perfect church, it's going to be a a long, (laughs) hard journey because there's no perfect church out there because we're made up of imperfect people. But we need to understand that. And, And you need to realize that you're one of those imperfect people, right? So many times, I mean, you've all heard it. You know, people coming and saying, well, I tried that church out, but my goodness, those people, oh, they're so messed up, right? You know, oh, they're a bunch of sinners or hypocrites. And it's like, and, and do you think you're any better, right? I mean, the minute that you come in, you're just, you're not riding the ship. I mean, you're making it tilt all the more in the favor of, you know, wrong and, and just sin. I mean, you're not making things any better, but what we do as we come together is that we just simply look to be of one accord, take the mind of Christ and say, man, we're here to, first of all, glorify God and to encourage and edify and bless one another. That's what we're, we're called to do. It's like that within marriage, right? Marriage is going to have its struggles. My marriage isn't perfect because my wife is a sinner. I mean, I mean, we're, I'm going to say we're sinners. We're both doing, but you see, that's the funny thing with marriage. People think, man, I, I'm just going to come together and I'm going to have a, a perfect marriage. And all of a sudden they get into marriage and it's like one year goes by and it's like, what happened? What happened to that person that I, I fell in love with that I thought I was just going to have a perfect marriage? You, you fail to realize that you are two imperfect, broken people coming together. 
This person isn't going to fix you or help you or make your life better. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the great thing, though, in marriage, for those of you that have experienced that, and I love to, I mean, I just got to give a little disclaimer. I love to joke about, you know, my wife, my marriage, but it's because I love her. We have a great time, and we're celebrating 25 years of marriage this Wednesday, so we're excited. But, um, but what we understand in marriage is that, yeah, we continually need to yield and sacrifice and lay down ourselves so that we can edify and encourage one another. And when we find that when we do that, suddenly we're finding that much more joy in our marriage as we're looking not to be served, but to serve and bless one another. And that's what we get to do in the church, you see. Now, here's the thing, everybody which leads us into the relevance of Pentecost for us here today. Here's the thing that we didn't understand. We can't do this in and of ourselves. This is not something that comes natural. If if you are sitting here saying, okay, well, that sounds good, Brent. I'm going to come and I'm really going to do my best now just to not make it all about me. That's not something that comes naturally for us. We need help. But praise the Lord. That's what the day of Pentecost is all about. The helper coming. And making the difference. Look at this with me here. As we continue in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, we read this. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergian, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Check this out in verse 11. They all said, this group of people visiting Jerusalem because of the day of Pentecost, from foreign nations with a foreign tongue, they all said this, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. You see, something significant happened here on this day of Pentecost, which is why I believe Luke records when the day of Pentecost had fully come. This was the day, just as Jesus promised, that I must go to the Father. If I don't go to the Father, the Holy Spirit, the helper, cannot be poured out upon you. The Holy Spirit was poured out on this people that suddenly made the difference in their lives to live as witnesses, to have the power. That's what Jesus said. Go wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you in which then you'll receive power. This word dunamis, this this dynamite ability to go and be witnesses. It wasn't too, too long prior that he got a guy like Peter who's denying Jesus. And now on the day of Pentecost, he's standing up before thousands, giving this great evangelical or evangelistic message. What changed? Well, suddenly, Peter's no longer relying on his ability and strength. He's being filled with the ability of the Holy Spirit. 
which is what we so desperately need if we're going to come together and be community and operate in, in fellowship and harmony. Because these are things that require not our natural ability, but the ability of the Holy Spirit that says, it's not about me. It's about me living to testify Christ and glorify him. These crowds here. Now notice, yes, the Holy Spirit's poured out and they spoke in other tongues, but understand something because we oftentimes associate, you know, Pentecost with, you know, Pentecostalism and some of you maybe have experienced things within Pentecostalism and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know if I ever want to be a part of, you know, Pentecost because that kind of scared me a little bit. Listen, Pentecostals don't have the handle or the lock hold on Pentecost. This is for the church. Not any one denomination. This is for all people because it's not about, you know, doing this or doing that. It's about simply being filled with the power from on high through the Holy Spirit, enabling us to live these lives for Jesus and to live in community in which we serve one another, not relying on our own natural ability. Just like in the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest, they came in to the Lord and said, God, we're relying on you for your provision just to care for us. So too we say, Lord, I'm relying on you to help me and enable me to live this life for you because, man, that's not found within me. We need the Holy Spirit. And all these people that are coming to Jerusalem and, and, and witnessing these events unfolding, they're all looking at this and going, what gives? How's this happening? These are a bunch of Galileans. We can barely understand them when they speak in their own tongue. And now we're hearing them speak in our tongue. Understand, they weren't speaking a new language or a heavenly language. They were speaking a known language, but yet it was unknown to them. And it allowed them to simply be a witness and to testify to Jesus. That's what the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is for, my friends. It's to allow us to be a witness. To live in this world where we're operating not on our mind, but on the mind of Christ, living in one accord, being a blessing, encouragement, and edifying one another. It's interesting that back in Genesis 11, we see the scene of the Tower of uh, of Babel unfolding. And as the people gathered together, they said, let us make a name for ourselves. They want to build a tower that reached up in the heavens, forming their own religion. Now let us make a name for ourselves. What did God have to do? He had to come down and confuse their tongue and scatter them. But now in the day of Pentecost, we see a great reversal of those things where God is gathering people together and he's allowing them not for their tongue to be confused, but for their tongue to be known so they could be singing out the wonderful, glorious works of God and being a witness of God, testifying of his goodness. It's so amazing, so wonderful to see what God did here. And it's something that we need to understand how much we need. Daily, we need to be praying, Lord, fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Yes, it was done on the day of Pentecost, but it's not a one-time thing. It is an ongoing thing. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, be ye continually filled. Let it be an ongoing thing, and I need that daily. Be filled with the Holy Spirit because I get leaky. Got a lot of holes in me and things can pour out and I'm like, Lord, pour into me fresh and anew. But you see what happens as we get bumped and we get shaken and some of the Holy Spirit, it, it just, Holy Spirit hopefully is poured out and ministering to other people. But so we need a fresh filling daily. The world needs to see 
the church in operation. The world needs to see people loving one another, loving God, showing what life is like in him. The very giver of life, the one that has saved us, given us new life. The world needs to see that because what we see happening in the world today, and it breaks my heart, where we see just chaos, you know, division, racism. We see, we see anarchy unfolding. I mean, if you've not turned on the news in the last week, brace yourself because what we see unfolding in the world is just craziness. But the, the only thing that can fix that is Jesus. The only cure that people have is Jesus and seeing the life that he has for them. But I pray that people are seeing the witness of the church of what life is like in Jesus. It's interesting that today Jewish rabbis believe that Pentecost commemorates the, the giving of the law. Perhaps again, those two loaves that we've talked about today symbolize you know, those two tablets of stone that Moses carried down from Mount Sinai of the, of the Ten Commandments. But in that day when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, he sees that there's chaos in the camp. 3,000 men died that day. Yet in Acts 2.41, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. Again, we see a great reversal where God is saying, oh man, through the law, through your ways, through your efforts, you're not going to find life. Life comes through me. And I want to pour out life upon you. It comes through the filling of the Holy Spirit where we walk in that vibrancy and that power that he has for us. Church, I encourage you. The day that the church was birthed, listen, we were born for this, to live differently and to live as a witness in the world. There's no excuses because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us to make a difference. Oh, I pray that's our heart and our desire. As we gather together, maybe a time where we're encouraging each other, edifying each other, building each other up, keeping us pointed to Jesus and our reliance upon him. But let it be a time where we can just be poured into by spirits so that we can go out into the world and live as witnesses of him. Amen? Worship team, come on up. Let's close with a song here today and maybe you're here today and you've been feeling a little dry and you would not be blamed for that. We've been going through a pretty trying time in our lives. Quarantine, lockdown, not being able to have community like we're supposed to. And yeah, it's been hard. And maybe these have been times where, man, it's just really kind of sucked out that life in you. Listen, today's the day to remind us here on, on Pentecost Sunday that Jesus has empowered us to live a vibrant life for him. It's not in ourselves. It's through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe today you're here saying, yeah, I need a fresh filling of the Spirit. I, I want to be poured into today. So that I can go out into the world and pour into others and live as a witness and make a difference 
in a hurting world. Let's make that our prayer here today. And we're going to have people available, I believe. We've got some prayer teams here that will make themselves available in the front or even in the back. And, and if you would like to be prayed for, maybe it's a, 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 a need that I haven't mentioned today, but maybe just to say, I just need that fresh feeling of spirit. I, I, would you pray for me? Man, we'd love to have people come alongside and pray for you here today. Lord, we thank you for this time. And we thank you for the promise of your spirit that was poured out to empower us and enable us to live this life for you and in you and with this power that comes outside of ourselves. And Lord, we look at the things going on in the world today and and the world is, is just so broken. Lord, we pray for what's going on in the States right now and just the, the chaos ensuing, Lord. We know that, God, there's no peace that comes apart from you. And so I pray that these would be times where people can be pointed to. We pray that these would be times where the church would rise up and say, we're going to show what life is like in and through Jesus because he's the very giver of life and it's only in him that we are going to find and know life. So may we be empowered by your spirit today to go into this world and be that witness and make a difference. Use us, Lord, and, and just do a work in us right now, Lord, as we take time to wait on you and respond to you, Lord. Just pour into us, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's close with this song here.